From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. Hey, Postmortem fans. Producer Joe here to tell you that today's special Halloween episode of Postmortem is sponsored by The Retaliators, starring Mark Menchaca and Michael Lombardi, with a high-octane original soundtrack and cameos from some of the biggest names in rock music, including Five Finger Death Punch, Tommy Lee, and Papa Roach, who set the tone for this epic horror thriller. Don't miss the film critics are calling a pure cinematic masterpiece. The Retaliators, now available to rent or own on digital. Are you a horror screenwriter looking for your big break? ScreenCraft can help you get there. This year, ScreenCraft's Horror Screenwriting Competition brings horror heavyweights to its jury, including writer-director showrunner Mike Flanagan of the hit Netflix shows Midnight Mass, The Haunting of Hill House, and The Haunting of Bly Manor. Dubbed the industry's number one horror screenplay contest by IndieWire, the ScreenCraft Horror Competition has a long history of creating success for its winners and finalists, many of whom have gone on to sign at places like Bellevue Productions, Kaplan Perron, Affirmative Entertainment, Zero Gravity, and more. Winners will be accepted into the ScreenCraft Development Program and receive personal introductions and phone calls with top Hollywood literary managers who are looking for talented, emerging film and TV screenwriters. So whether you're writing a contained, socially relevant horror movie or a big horror TV series, ScreenCraft's jury wants to read your script. Head over to screencraft.org slash horror to enter your feature screenplay or TV pilot. Act fast. The competition closes on Halloween, October 31st. You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. From Nice Guy Productions, world headquarters overlooking the glamorous San Fernando Valley, I'm Mick Garris, and this is a very special edition of Postmortem. We've been doing interviews every week 
during the month of October to celebrate Halloween and skipping the AMAs. But this is a special one. Two of my closest friends, William Malone and Tommy McLaughlin, are here with me to round out the month talking about Halloween, the movies we've loved, what we like to do on Halloween, and just have kind of a no-holds-barred discussion about our favorite holiday. Bill, Tommy, thank you for joining us on the extra size slab today. (laughs) Thank you, Mixter. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so... Let's talk a little about the movies that got us excited at Halloween, that that made Halloween so important to us. I know, Bill, you really love classics and older, obscure horror films. And Tommy, you're very up to date on everything that comes out. So, But when we were kids, what were the ones well, that excited us? I, I know I, I'm guessing that all of us have the same movie. Which is, <laughs> yes. Which is Abbott and Costello yep. meet Frankenstein. Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> the classic. I mean, for me, I've seen that and A Hard Day's Night more than I've seen any other movies. But it was so great because the funny stuff was funny and the scary stuff was scary. They played it straight. Did you watch it all the time when it was on? Well, you know, of course, when I was a kid, you know, we didn't have video or you had to wait till it came on the television, you know, yeah. which, which they'd run it occasionally. But I mean, I was always glued to it when I when I saw it. And, and I, I had a revival theater I grew up in Lansing, Michigan. We had like an invi- a revival theater called um, uh, the uh, Esquire, and they'd show a lot of sort of third-run movies, and they ran that, and I remember I, I stood in line to see that. You so. saw it on the big screen? I did. Mm. Holy shit. Wow. Well, Tommy and I both grew up in L.A., yeah. and I in San Diego for part of that time, but uh, I was born in L.A., and, and L.A. was such an important part of my youth. Where did you go to the movies? God, everywhere, any place I could, I could see something that I wasn't supposed to see. Uh, <laughs> usually that meant uh, skipping school, um, yeah. writing your own notes, uh, taking the number seven bus to Santa Monica. Um, and there was a theater there that, you know, showed movies at noon. So, you know, all the like, well, in those days, you know, it was the Corman movies, you know, all the right. price things. And of course, the, you know, the Hammer Horror movies and stuff. But Channel 9 had that wonderful thing uh, that that nine o'clock you know movie the uh, million dollar movie million dollar movie and they would repeat the same one every day of the week at nine o'clock so if frankenstein was on dracula any you could see them five times so come come saturday you had all the dialogue down and you could go in and on monday and basically teach it to everyone else so you know come halloween most of my friends and i we would always dress up i was sort of the you know, the overseer of the, the costumes and stuff. And we would, yeah, kind of go and, and they, you know, follow my lead, you know, because that was the thing that I was so into. Yeah. So did you, were you a trick-or-treater, but elaborately costumed for kids of the of the era? Yeah. I mean, I, I we would kind of do our, like, kind of quick trick-or-treating, and then we'd go into the uh, hooligan mode of you know running around and getting up on billboards and stuff and our costumes is you know the waving at the crowd is you know it's this thing of we were a bunch of kids that wanted attention <laughs> and the best way to do it as we all know is put a mask on you know put on enough makeup that nobody recognizes you and you can do anything you want so it was very elaborate now bill you've done makeup effects a lot of them and design and things like that what were your halloweens like as a kid well when i i 
you know, I, I was very much into like dressing up and stuff. And, yeah. and my friends were too. So, uh, but I remember, you know, I started making masks, I think when I was about 12 years old. Wow. And, and uh, but I remember, I think when I was about 14, I made a complete mutant suit from uh, this island earth. You know? Wow. <laughs> and uh, it, it was the mutant. It's, it's a little goofy. Or you look <laughs> at it today, but. Uh, but Metaluna. Yeah, Metaluna mutant from this <laughs> island earth. And I remember uh, walking down the street and I remember my dad coming and getting grabbing me and say, look, you're going to get shot. <laughs> come, on, come back home, you know, because I was walking around the streets. May not have been on Halloween. Maybe that was the problem. <laughs> you know, my Halloweens as a kid, uh, I didn't know any like-minded horror fans. Um, and so it was trick-or-treating, and everybody else just got the Ben Cooper costumes oh, that were guys. such crap. <laughs> you know, just these rayon step into suits and a plastic mask in the front and i would always try and do makeups and stuff but but there wasn't that gang that you guys sound like you had of creative guys who would get together and dress up and and stunt you know Mm -hmm. well i I think maybe the part of the problem was you know where i grew up it was so boring (laughs) (laughs) we had to find something to make things interesting you know so halloween was a big deal you know it was kind of like a it very much reminds me of uh the opening of halloween the movie with uh, yeah yeah. you know in quote haddonfield which is pasadena but (laughs) yeah yeah exactly well what were the movies that that make you feel what are the ones that you bring out on halloween that you really like to are there things you like to revisit tommy is there recent stuff that i i gotta say i mean i have a incredible girlfriend now laura who i've been with for i want seven years now and she is like an 80s horror junkie she knows more stuff than <laughs> i think all three of us combined <laughs> about that because she grew That's up saying just, something i know but <laughs> Did, did we sit and watch these things, even the worst of the worst B movies, you know, like a hundred times? She did. They she grew wow. up and they were comfort food. Her mother would stick her in front of the set, buy these things from Blockbuster or whatever, you know, and she just watched these things over and over and over. And I mean, it's so weird that, you know, I hear her like doing the dialogue on these. Like, what the hell movie is that? Oh my God. You you like that? Oh, jeez. But anything, it's like, you know, I mean she Do you watch the them class. with her? No, just by herself. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, but, you know, I mean, shutters on all the time in our house. But like, was it two years ago with the with the pandemic when nobody yeah. was supposed to go out? And, right. you know, I dressed up like Michael Myers. I was ready to go. We had <laughs> Halloween on the TV and you had like three guys, three boys that showed up at seven o'clock. And that was it. Uh. And it was so heartbreaking because, you know, I moved to Burbank and took this house in particular because I said, how is it at Halloween? I was like, oh, we got 150 kids. I go, that's great. So now I've got it all fixed up. I, mean, I was out there at three in the morning putting up the lights last night and, you know, wow. and of course, fucking spirit and these stores, you know, I see something and I buy it, you know, and then if it doesn't work, <laughs> I send it back. But there's so many places now where they get really good makeup artists that are creating these things. So some of it looks, I mean, really great. And some of the audio animatronic things, it's like, Holy shit. How much is this? 150? Hmm. Well, let me see. I'll open it up. Eh, nah, it's not that great. Send it back. You know, forget when it's great. Okay, keep it, you know, and then sort of putting together a museum up in my wow. top four with all these things and, you know, drag them out. So this will be your first year in Burbank at the new house where you have this, right? Yeah. So but, that should be uh, You know, to answer your question, yeah, it's Halloween. There's something about the music 
all of that and having seen it first day, you know, literally the first evening show in Hollywood and to see popcorn airborne. I mean, people, <laughs> I, you know, it was the beginning of that whole people just going crazy in the theater, uh, you know, where exorcists and those ones, they sat down and were like afraid. This was like just the jump scares and all that, which right. was so much fun. And, and that, you know, all those themes that we have now with, you know, the Nightmare on Elm Street and, and I mean, so many of them. And, uh, you know, of course, I don't think anything's going to beat Suspiria. I mean, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that thing by Goblin, it's just great. You know? So, I mean, all that stuff sort of like plays on a little speaker in front of my house. You oh, know, that's fantastic. All through October. When, as an adult, the first most really impressive Halloweens that I had, Bill, you and Bob Burns put on these amazing displays and shows that people would line up down the block uh, wow. outside of Bob's house. Yeah. And you'd have a theme like I remember Creature from the Black Lagoon was one of the best ones. Uh, tell me about the history of that. Well, it's really, it's all Bob Burns. I mean, Bob started doing that. He, in case you don't know, Bob Burns, uh, you know, uh, helped like Paul Blaisdell in the days when they were doing things like, uh, uh, you know, the she creature and it yeah. conquered the world and stuff like that. Big horror guy. And he has a house in Burbank and he would put on these amazing shows, which he started out very small and it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And he has a lot of friends who are like, you know, the guys who did Star Wars and, you know, makeup, all kinds of makeup effects guys and guys art like directors you. and yeah. stuff. And it, the shows got just amazing. And uh, I remember one year uh, I went to Bob and I said, well, you know, I'll build Creature from the Black Lagoon suit, like the universal one if you'll put on the show and he did and he got like these guys to build this you know cave in his driveway yeah. and, and with then, the petrified uh, uh, arm yeah, of the you know, creature those things and, are great uh, i was in line <laughs> i wasn't creative <laughs> like you to make that stuff i would just be one of the geeks in line yeah. going yeah what has he got this year <laughs> so you remember this oh god yeah yeah, yeah. they yeah. were and amazing. the exorcist one i remember with. oh yeah, oh, yeah. Exorcist that was, was terrific. yeah and then alien he yeah. did alien oh, yeah. and what was great about alien by that time 20th Century Fox knew of him, and when Alien came out, they brought a big truck, like a semi, with the props and set pieces from Alien and dropped it off at his house. They, oh, wow. Go. Yeah. Wow. I re those are the two I remember best, are Creature and Alien. Yeah. And um, two of your favorite movies. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And he, but he also did like, uh, I think this last one he ever did was The Thing from Another World. Yeah, you the know, 51 was, version. Yeah, which yeah. was great. And he had uh, um, just a really good cast and they really did a great job with it. So. I've been lucky enough to indulge my Halloween Jones by making a couple Halloween movies. I mean, writing Hocus Pocus, nobody ever imagined it would become what it has become. But my lesser known Halloween movie is a Stephen King story that I adapted into something really personal called Riding the Bullet. And that takes Which place Which is my favorite McGarris movie. Oh, thank you. you know. <laughs> thank you. Not that many people have seen it. But, um, but, and I also did a Halloween episode of Once Upon a Time that I had the best time. And be, uh, that aired on Halloween, so it was shot beforehand. But I was also shooting my next episode of Once Upon a Time on Halloween. And so we're shooting Halloween sequences for the one show that's going to air. And then on Halloween, we're shooting 
in Vancouver with sequences that uh, we're watching the neighborhood around us. All these kids are trick-or-treating and stuff while we're shooting. So I just love being able to have incorporated this passion into the work. Now, you guys have both done iconic stuff in the genre. I mean, Jason Voorhees, Tommy, in my opinion, by far the best of the Friday the 13th movies that you directed, wrote and directed, part six, Jason Lives. Um, Do you feel that sense of icon, Halloween icon, having been involved in that unbelievably important franchise? To be honest, no. I, I, it's funny because there's like the horror world that we create and we do. And then to me, Halloween is like this, you know, like, I don't know, 4th of July when you were a kid, you could shoot, you know, shoot up things and blow things up and do all that <laughs> stuff, which was great. And Halloween. And then the rest of it was about gifts, you know, <laughs> Christmas, you right, know, right. Easter eggs. But those are the ones where you got to be proactive and they were their own thing. I always got so pissed off when I was shooting on Halloween, you know, doing shows or, or, you know, either if I was out of the, the state or, or country even, you know, and you're going, God, I want to be out there doing it. Because we used to do, you know, Stephen Banks, his brother, Alan, Tony Tinoco, a bunch of us would do these elaborate mazes. Um, and Alan would build these things for weeks. So it was like so important to be back there and put on the show because we got up to, God, I don't know, 500 to 1,000 people up in wow. you know Montrose you know lined up you know for these things as, as the reputation grew and so I know that was like a must but you know it's funny because I never I've never done actually a trick-or-treat scene or a Halloween thing in in any of the films and things I've done I don't know why it just you know kind of went that way but you must feel a, a kind of warmth when a Jason comes to your door <laughs> knocking, a, a tiny little Jason comes knocking on your door. I just don't, you know, it's like I still don't believe it, uh, that whole thing of how easy it is to just put on a hockey mask and now you're this iconic horror figure <laughs> where, as you know, you got to make things. you got to yeah. get in there and you got to have some artistic talent to do that. My, my little eight millimeter movies where I tried to be Frankenstein or Jekyll and Hyde or whatever, <laughs> yeah. they're terrible. I mean, they're just so, so, so you awful. made eight millimeter movies when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. Oh, as we all did. We oh, all yeah. did. Yeah. I actually used to have a, a festival called the Occasionally Bad Film Festival. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was people who were like, uh, you know, major people in the film business who would like, bring their eight millimeter movies when they were a kid and we'd run those oh and it was, that's it was great. great fun you know, i made one called the return of the count uh, a dracula movie back. that had uh i built a coffin for it and everything it was really fun but i wasn't nearly as enterprising as you were and 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 advanced in actually being able to make <laughs> masks and all that stuff but one of the perennials of halloween is house on haunted hill and Bill, you got to remake that movie. So tell me about that whole process of how, was it a favorite of yours? Yeah, actually, it's funny because before I made it, I had been thinking for some time, I said, what's going to be coming back heavy? And I said, well, everyone's getting older. They're going to die. Ghosts. <laughs> <Not. laughs> you know, so we I really want to make a ghost movie. And, uh, and then when... Um, I got a call from Joel Silver saying that they'd bought the rights to the William Castle catalog and they were thinking about doing House on Haunted, a remake of House on Haunted Hill. I said, I'm in. Well, you yeah. had, you knew Joel Silver because you'd done several episodes of Tales from yeah, the Crypt. Yeah, Tales from the Crypt and, and then the, the show Perversions of Science, which was Right, that was yeah. a pilot that you did. And then I also did a pilot for them for uh, NBC, I think it was. 
Yeah, well, yeah. To, about House on Haunted Hill, tell me about that process of how you go from this Vincent Price classic to doing something for a contemporary audience. Well, I mean, first of all, you know, when you're making remaking a film like that, you know, I think that there's a, it, it's got a lot of weight to it in terms of that the, you know, the, the, the fans are going to be really upset if you make something that's... You've got you know, custody. Yes. <laughs> and uh, actually, uh, the writer, uh, Dick Beebe, who was a lovely guy, but had a little problem with the, the, he had a, with the drink. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, he spent like six months writing the screenplay. And, and I honestly think that he wrote it like the night before he turned it in. <laughs> And uh, so, and that almost got the project sunk. And uh, I talked to the studio, said, let's, let's, let's think about this. And I got Dick and I, I said, let's go watch the original movie. Let's write down everything we like about it. And I said, let's put all of that in the movie. And which is what we did, you know. And then, um, so, um, yeah, it was a really interesting experience doing that. And, and like I said, I was very aware that, you know, the fans would be upset if I you know, uh, uh, peed on it in any fashion. Yeah. <laughs> and you ended up making a $100 million grossing movie, which is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, yeah it did pretty good, yeah. <laughs> it did great. And that still, that opening sequence is so classic. It's really iconic. You know, it's funny. Uh, some of that, like, uh, the, basically the way this, I co-wrote the script, and the way it worked is Dick Beebe wrote uh, most of the dialogue stuff and character interactions, although we... We both worked on the basic stu- the plot line together, but uh, I wound up writing all of the scary stuff, you know, and and um, the whole which thing is of, only right. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that was, you know, we figured out which each person's, uh, uh, you know, best uh, their strengths strengths were. Uh, but anyway, um, but that whole thing of like the roller coaster rides and all that stuff that really came from when I used to work at Don Post Studios because oh. they they used to send me to these like Disneyland and Magic Mountain and stuff like that because we sold masks there. And I remember thinking, well, these, these rides aren't scary. <laughs> I said, they, they, should be the, they should be the eminent threat of death. You know, right. so I, so I came up with a whole bunch of different rides that they could have done, you know, and, and that the one in House on Haunted Hill was one of them. I also had another one called Walk the Plank which was a 200-foot-tall funnel that had a plank, and you had to walk across it. And in the middle of it, they dump you into the funnel, and you go flying down you know, a couple hundred feet. Now, some people have a strange idea of entertainment. Yes, they to quote Tom McLaughlin and his uh, autobiography. Uh, terrific book. Um, but speaking of iconic, Bill, you also sculpted the William Shatner mask that became the Michael Myers mask in Halloween when you were working at Don Post Studios. Guilty as charged. <laughs> wow, I never knew that. Is, yeah, yeah I, I, a lot of people don't know that. But, but Tommy, your connection with Friday the 13th, tell me how you come after five movies and make a very specific... It seems like you are allowed a lot of freedom to make a movie that reflected your personality. It's the first one that's genuinely funny. To me, I always tell people that Jason Lives is Scream before there was Scream. It was a self-reflexive, genuinely funny, genuinely suspenseful and scary uh, Friday the 13th. And the odds against a number six being a terrific movie are really high. So tell me how you jumped into it. I guess the 
I don't know if you want to say lucky or not. I, I didn't want to do slasher movies. I didn't like slasher movies. I thought Halloween was amazing. I yeah. thought the first Friday the 13th was great because it was a great twist. But after that, as you know, you know, we were going around this town trying to sell our scripts. I wanted to do gothic horror stuff, you know, based on the kinds of stuff I grew up loving. But it's like, kid, hey, listen. Give me a forest, give me some isolated thing, give me some guy in a mask of some sort, I don't care if a paper bag, whatever, some girls, some tits, you know, I'll get you some money. But this thing, you know, coffins and, uh, no. So One dark night you're talking about having done. Well, yeah, because it took forever to get that made. Well, even after I got that made, it was sort of like, you know, came and went, you know, and kind of disappeared, but then kind of had its own life. Uh, with kids because it was PG, which I didn't want. Right. And it all these little kids saw it. So, you know, now when I go to these conventions, it's like, dude, you scared the shit out of me when I was, there. I was under the bed, you know? And it's like, I had no idea. Because as far as I was concerned, it was like a very long wait and then a big payoff. But that's the way the movies used to be. We sat, when I watched things, I was, what was I watching the other night? Uh, uh, Son of Frankenstein. And I go, we sat through all this dialogue. We waited, you know, for the <laughs> Igor scenes and, you know, and the things that, that, you know, we wanted to see. But the little boy, I remember, really kind of pulled me in, you know, because oh, yeah. he could identify. So Friday, I well, wanted to have kids. Well, hello. Yeah, mm -hmm. he was great. So, you you know, I thought, I'm, I'm bringing in kids. I'm bringing in underwater fights and stuff. The budget, you know, wasn't going to be any more than what it was, which is like $3 million for that thing. And somehow, because we had, you know, Don Barron's, you know, as our production manager, he kept cutting my steady cam shots, kept cutting my green oh. shots. So we came in under budget. So, I mean, the whole thing was sort of like, okay, I'm going to do this. They gave me absolutely no blowback. Only thing was don't put Jason's father in there that you have in the script because we don't want the audience to think the next one's going to be about Jason and Pop. You know, there's like, take, take that away. Just let us know Jason's alive. It's all we're asking. Anything else? Nope. You can make it however you want to make it. And they let me go. So it was, I guess that can't happen anymore from what I hear. It's too many chefs, you know, to anything you get on. It's like there's, it's such a collaborate of, of people that all have a say so. So, well, the I big thing fortunate. you got away with, though, was the comedy. Yeah. Well, that's why I thought this, the fans wouldn't like it. I said, I can't, I'll be honest with you, I can't do a 6-1 of something and not have a sense of humor about it. And the James Bond thing right at the top <laughs> was me going, okay, there's the greatest franchise. You know, they're trying to do that with this. I'm going might, to might as well satirize it right from the top. And if you get it, you get it, you know. And but you're in. I tried to do the, the scary stuff as scary as I could. But I still wanted to have that sense of, of humor, you know, about the whole proceedings. Uh, one way or the other, it, to me, it was like my way of sort of getting out and even breaking the fourth wall and looking at the audience and say, you know, some folks have a strange idea of entertainment. <laughs> and, and it's that helped us get good reviews. As much as they said, I want to hate it, but that, you know, made us realize that he wasn't doing this that seriously. Well, and I love the line, what did you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> That's another of my favorite things from that. He, he, he went on to be a director, that guy, you know, the, the, the kid. Yeah. Oh, really? Just met him years ago on a podcast. It was very funny because you wonder what happened to all the, the kids where they went with their lives. Yeah, yeah. Well, talk about your beginnings with night turkey and stuff, Bill. <laughs> oh, you know, no. you, you you would make things and, and you'd do some stuff and Rick Baker would help out and uh, you and Chris well, Wayless would do things. Well, I think it sort of ties in with the sort of the Bob Burns kind of thing. You know, it's a, 
the first thing I ever did was I got a hold of like the first video camera that you could own. You right. Know, there was a home video camera, you know, it was called a Sony Portapack, a shot black and white. And uh, there was no, of course, there was no way of editing the footage. So that was kind of a problem. <laughs> so in camera edits? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So, so we, we got, so I got some friends together and said, well, let's make a, a feature, you know, which is, of course, ridiculous. And I, and I said, well, what's the budget? And I said, well, let's not make it over $100. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we got our friends to go. We made a spoof of Night Stalker called The Night Turkey. And uh, we just got our friends in. But, you know, some of our friends were like Rick Baker. He did. He built the night turkey. He's actually in it as well. And Bob Burns is in it with Kogar the gorilla and Robbie the robots in it. And, you know, so it was it was a lot of fun. But, you know, it's uh, the and famously from, you owned the original Robbie the robot for right. years yeah. until this, this was not year. that. though. This was actually, No, that was the one you this rebuilt. Is, this is what I built before I owned the original. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, it was it was great fun, and you know, and I think the most fun for me was we were at some convention or something. He said you got to turn on the radio. I said why? He says we well, just ran Night Turkey, and and uh, Isaac Asimov is on the radio talking about how good Night Turkey was. <laughs> I went, oh no! Wow, that's an accomplishment. So, what are you going to do this year, Tommy? Tell me about what how you're going to do your house and everything. Well, I. You know, all roads lead to Burbank, right? I mean, it's like, it's sort of like Halloween headquarters. And when I started kind of fixing up the house two years ago during the pandemic, and I wanted it to look sort of like an English cottage, but like somebody made it by hand. So there's like, it starts with stones and then it goes into bricks, you know, because I had an English carpenter who said, you yeah, know, that's what happened. You know, we we run out of a supply and we use something else <laughs> and barrels for the water coming down and, you know, really trying to set that whole kind of stage of it it already looks you know fantasy and then it's a question of lighting obviously you know fog effects um i've got a bunch of you know new animatronics from you know some of them from home depot some of them from spirit you'll see how well they that they go <laughs> one of them i thought was great because it's it's like the broken neck lady in, in the uh the haunting oh yeah uh, uh and i will see how it goes you know see if it works well i haven't even like assembled it yet but just stuff that i go you know try it out on the dog and see what happens last year <laughs> yeah we I, I had a convention in i guess it was new jersey or something and i was just busting my ass to get back and didn't get there till like 8 30 so laura kind of you know held the held down the fort and yeah we had a, about 100 kids at that point wow and then i jumped into the I don't even remember what I put on nuns outfit or something with a mask <laughs> out there and stalking the, the, the kids. And so this year, yeah, I, I, you know, I kind of make it up as I go along. I put out a bunch of stuff and enough props and things and, and see what happens. You know, this year I've got the little pads you can step on from a distance to activate something oh. so you don't have to be next to it, you know, or it doesn't do the same thing over and over and over, you know. Um, so that, that's kind of, I think, you know, where we're going to go. And again, it's, it's all about the kids, you know, it's like put on a show, you know, the ones that get scared, they go, Oh, you shouldn't do that. And I go, you know what? We all got terrified and we want to come back and do it again. I, and I learned that very early on with my son, Shane, when we went to universal and Frankenstein came up and he crawled up my 
back up in my neck. He was so terrified. But the next year, where is he? Where is he? You know, <laughs> took pictures with him and all that. And I went, that's it. I mean, you want to beat that fear. And it's all kind of that whole thing with Halloween. Challenge challenge you when you're young and then it sticks. Some people go, nope, I don't want to do that ever again. And the, and the rest of us weirdos go, no, I want to make a livelihood out of this. No, gobble gobble one of us. Yeah, yeah exactly. definitely. So for the last several years, uh, Cynthia and I have gone over to your house, Bill, on Halloween. And it's so much fun because it seems like there are a lot of kids who are brought in from oh, poor yeah. neighborhoods. T totally so bust in. There I mean, are like thousands of them. Yeah, we, I, I think we gave out $800 worth of candy last year. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we had like 3,000 kids or something. Wow, it was, amazing. It's insane, yeah. And, and fantastic. Yeah, it's great fun. In fact, it got to be so much we can't even uh, have them knock on the door anymore. We just have to have everybody out on the front porch because it, it, it's a it, barrage. Yeah, it's just a barrage of kids, but it's great fun. And I, I we're just fascinated by some of the costumes that the kids came. Uh, you were there. Did you see the Invisible Man? Yes. Yeah, that was like <laughs> the best costume ever. This kid came up dressed as the Invisible Man with you know with a the fake shoulders with uh -huh. no no thing, but he had a hat. That floated in the air, yeah. and glasses that floated yeah. in the air. Yeah. It was it was genius, it really. And he was carrying a book, and it was that was floating. It was <laughs> well. It reminds you that Halloween originally was for kids. Yeah. You know, when I wrote Hocus Pocus, I wrote it about twelve year olds because that's when it had the most impact in my life. And when they made the movie, they turned it into 16-year-olds. When I was a kid, the 16-year-olds would steal the candy from yeah. the 12-year-olds. Yeah. But now. It's an all-ages thing. Everybody loves Halloween. What was the first Halloween that you made, did something special? Like where you made a house, a haunted house of your home? Um, I guess it would have been out here. I mean, for sure. Yeah. In fact, it was, it was at my current house. Because I don't, before I lived down the street, the just didn't support it. It's a, right, know, right. Not, well, not, you had Halloween parties I did have at the other party. place, yeah. and you you would have the Ghostbusters ambulance there <laughs> yeah, parked in yeah, front. That's and, true, and we had Gort there. And, and you would screen movies in widescreen in your backyard. Well, I used to actually, I was uh, such a you know, crazy film guy that I actually had a 35-millimeter yes. projector, and I'd run 35-millimeter <laughs> films in my house. Now, if you've never seen a 35-millimeter movie projected in your house, it's a completely different experience. It's Just the so sound intense. alone. Yeah, yeah it's like you're, you're yeah. running. Yeah, but it was great fun, you know. But I just remembered something. I didn't do Halloween, but I did Hell, Hell Night the night before Halloween uh, when I did Murder in Greenwich. That was the oh. night that Martha Moxley got murdered by one of the Kennedy cousins. Right. And so we did this whole thing with, you know, that was the night where everybody would go out and just rampage Greenwich, you know, and do all this crazy shit. So, so you did do was... a sequence from the... Uh, yeah, but it was like, yeah, season. kind of, but it was like, you know, sort of saw the aftermath of the Smash Pumpkins and the, you know, the, what do you call it, the... Uh, Snow. What's a spray? Oh uh, yeah, the uh, uh, the spider webs. Uh. Not not to no, because I was. This was before. It was just like uh, uh, silly string. No shit. What am I trying no. to say? Shaving. Well, oh, shaving lab, cream. Lab, you know, like yeah, all over yeah. the thing and write stuff. Um, and you know, it was just like as I said, kind of impressions of of sort of the aftermath of all that, and of course her body. You know, that was you know she was killed that night. But yeah, that so it just sort of was the ominous thing that this was like a weird before. 
even with Halloween, they, you know, they had this this ring, which we didn't do on the West Coast. That whole night thing was so, no, that's not well, when when you were kids in Los Angeles. Now, did you get the uh, the Shock Theater package? The yeah, Channel Five ran oh, all okay. of the uh, mm-hmm. the original Universal classic because that was very influential on me when I was a kid. You know, they, yeah. they'd, I remember there was like a Friday or Saturday night. I can't remember which, but I had to stay up late and ask permission from my folks. To, you know, <laughs> Channel to, Five would would show all the Universal classics. And then Channel 11 on Saturday afternoon would show all the junk, like the four skulls of Jonathan Drake and things like that. But, but I love them equally, yeah. you know, and watch them. Um, Tommy, what was the first time you set up a Halloween thing at your house? Oh, boy. Um, I had to be pretty young because my dad was into it, too. So I'm guessing I was sort of helped him out uh, it must have been, you know, when I was like four or five, I would guess, because wow. by the time I got to six or seven, I was kind of on my own, you know, with my friends going out and doing doing all this stuff. And, you know, the the older I got, the more elaborate, you know, it, it became. But it wasn't, in those days, it wasn't really about doing something at home. You wanted to get the hell out with your friends yeah. and, and be part of the event. Um, but once, you know, I started having friends and we all realized we were all you know, geeks and freaks uh, and started doing it, you know, as a group. Then it became like, you know, you began to realize, gee, we had the same childhood. We watched the same movies and, you know, had the same inspiration. So it was, it was great fun. And I was probably more in like the, you know, the teenage days and stuff. And yeah. then seriously, you know, once we kind of went out and were in the, in the world as adults and it was like, no, no, we're not giving up Halloween. That's still, you know, the most important thing. I was a kid who didn't know anybody who was into the horror genre uh, around me. You guys were surrounded by people who celebrated Halloween the way I wished I could have celebrated Halloween. But I remember getting a walkie-talkie set and putting one in a tree on Mm -hmm. Halloween night when the trick-or-treating kids would come around and do scary voices into Mm -hmm. the walkie-talkie. That was as elaborate as I could get (laughs) as a kid. But... um, just the whole idea. So, was this in San Diego? That was in El Cajon, a suburb yeah. of San Diego, yeah. when I did that. Um, but uh, I have such great memories, uh, and I know you guys went to these as well. The makeup artists would put on spectacular Halloween parties. Yeah, they Rick would Becker rent... still does, doesn't he? I mean, or, no, I guess Rick comes out and he does shows all his family and makeup and stuff. I oh, I, I haven't been, so I don't yeah. know. But you would get Rick and, and Steve Johnson and and Greg Canham and all of these guys trying to outdo one another and rent a hall in one of the hotels. Uh, uh, I remember the Sheraton downtown that, that they had a rental hall. Do you remember going to those and, and seeing all those costumes and things? I didn't. I, I didn't oh. even know about that. I, somehow that was oh, on my I went radar. to a few of them. Yeah. yeah. They were pretty yeah, amazing. Pretty yeah. They all tried to outdo, just like when they were making Thriller, which I was lucky enough to be a zombie in, Michael Jackson's Thriller, all of the makeup artists in town tried to outdo each other and make the most elaborate, fantastic zombies and put it on themselves and each other. And it's just so great. What what do you think the appeal, well, for you, what's the appeal of Halloween, Bill? Uh, You know, I I guess it's just being able to dress up and become a different character for a night and, and just have fun with it. And you know, uh, I, I, it's just n- no inhibitions, you know, other than... The, yeah. You know. Well, especially when you're in a costume, you're far less inhib- inhibited. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just great fun. I mean... 
And for you, Tommy, what's the appeal? Probably Elvira's cleavage. <laughs> when you could walk into Ralph's and see her full figure, you know, with beer around her and stuff, I thought, well, okay, we're in the season. Well, you're sitting right where she sat when we did our interview. So. Oh, really? Okay. I can say something I'm not going to say. Um, but <laughs> I'm happy to be sitting with Cassandra was. Yeah, I, I, there's so many things, Nick. I, I don't know what to say. I, it's like... The, now it's like it never stops. I mean, you know, yeah. in summer, we you know we have uh, what do they call it, midsummer nights nightmare, and, and the, right. they, midsummer they, scream, scream. Yeah. That's and they, you know, they're selling all the stuff. They're getting everybody prepared, showing you how to make your house into a haunted house, and it just keeps going. You know, it, it's like there's no end to it. And as soon as it's over on November the first, next year, what you yeah. gonna see? Is you know, it's like it's you can't stop. I went to. Uh... Oddly enough, a Halloween um, extravaganza in June or July of one year. It was Bob Skotek, Robert Skotek, the effects guy, yeah. and and his brother and stuff. They put on this like elaborate Halloween show in the middle of summer, and I thought, this is cool. You yeah. know, why does it have to just be then? And and then and, they started doing Midsummer Night's Scream, yeah. Midsummer Scream, yeah. yeah. And uh, I'll tell you the other great Halloween thing I went to was actually I was shooting a show in uh, uh, New Orleans and you always think of Mardi Gras but Halloween there is awesome yeah. I yeah. shot in, in New Orleans as well that's right that's two Halloweens that I was shooting in yeah. well we shot on Halloween during writing the bullet too but New Orleans they had a big Halloween parade oh, it's right yeah, yeah. It's, it's huge there do you ever go to Santa Monica Boulevard on Halloween? And see oh, all the yeah. Drag queens. Oh, yeah. There. I mean, it, their costumes and there's, I, mean, I can't imagine what it's like today. I They're mean, so elaborate. Well, Hollywood Boulevard used to be a great place to go on Halloween, yeah. but it started turning violent and yeah. ugly. But it was so elaborate and, and safe and fun. Mm -hmm. You know, Hollywood Boulevard in the 70s and 80s was a little skeevy yeah but you could still go down there and know that there'd be a big halloween takeover it yeah. wasn't planned or anything but it just it was like what later became of santa monica boulevard yeah. i love when the mall started the shop started to do that for the little little kids yeah you know? and you, you know in the afternoon you could go from store to store and the little kids could get the candy and their you know their disney outfits or whatever and again it was like it made it really special and of course very very safe but it used to be Halloween was more for the outcasts, mm -hmm. you know. When, when did it become so uh, mainstreamed? Elvira's cleavage. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Good question. I guess as soon as there was money in it. I, I, what can yeah. I say? Yeah. You know, well, as soon look, as it's like horror, we can... Horror in general used to be like the... the, the funky stepchild you know yeah, exactly. movie making. Yeah. And now it's like, the, it's like the major genre, you know, and, and that... I don't know when that changed. I guess it changed somewhere in the 90s, I guess. Well, tell me some of the movies that you like to watch in, in the uh, Halloween spirit. I put together a list of several movies that I really enjoyed this year just to maybe stimulate some ideas for our audience. But, uh, Bill, I, I know you're mostly into a classic mode, or, or not just classics, but of another era that are not familiar, that are oddball. And so what are some of those that... that well, I mean, there's, there's some great ones, first of all. You know, a, a lot of people don't 
like silent films, but I, I think it's because they actually haven't seen the good ones. Right. And there's some really amazing silent films like uh, Faust, you know, which is mm, 1926, yeah. I think it was, uh, more now. And then uh, um, The Man Who Laughs, which is like, yeah, you know, which, is, which is the precursor of The Joker. The Joker is like a definite like lift from that movie. Yeah, you know? Conrad Veidt with Conrad the smile. Conrad to my mind, Conrad Veidt's the greatest actor who ever walked the planet. Mm-hmm. If you watch the, the Man Who Laughs, you'll see an amazing performance. And, uh, you know, and of course, if you're talking about Halloween, you, know, you can't beat Frankenstein, the 1931 yeah. Karloff yeah. film, you know. But there's modern films, too, I like. I, I you know, I, I know you're not as much a fan of this, but I like It Follows a lot. Mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. that was a really well done, well thought out film and has a really nice weird tone to it and a very distinct visual style there was a directorial choice there yeah Yeah, very john carpenter steady cam you know it became to me very comp you know yeah which i love you know it's like we steal from the masters you know and (laughs) as far as i'm concerned he created a style there we call it influence yeah yeah but i mean that was almost all master shots too which Mm -hmm. very difficult to generate horror and suspense in master shots yeah um, but I think we're having an incredible renaissance since COVID. I don't know if it has anything to do with it, but week after week, first-time directors are getting mainstream movies out there. It's just inc- and they're good as far as I'm concerned. I mean, people may take issue with me on this, but we've seen so much shit for so long. <laughs> yeah, it's great to have somebody go back and you know kind of touch upon the basics and. This thing, you know, Smile that just came out was a short film that couldn't get into a festival because of COVID. And he got a deal with, with uh, to do it as a, a Paramount Plus, you know, streaming thing. And then they saw it and they decided to test it. And the audiences were jumping and screaming. And they went, you know, 3,000 theaters, you know, whatever it was last weekend. And this is a, you know, kid that was out of Dodge College where I teach. But it took. 11 years before that happened. It wasn't yeah. like he jumped right into it. Right. You know, just like so he was a brothers. student of yours there, yeah? Sorry? He was a student of yours? Not mine, no. no but you just knew him before. from Actually, the he was Actually, he was in the same classes as uh, Shane, when Shane, my your son, son, was yeah. there. Um, and they were both screenwriting majors. But he'd just been, you know, doing the Hollywood game, go, you know, taking regular jobs, hating them, taking assistant jobs, hating them, and then made this little short, you know, at Dodge, uh, used the set of the soundstage there to build his set. And I don't know how it's doing this weekend, but you know, huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I to, I, I and I that, and it's yeah. like he's sweet, he's wonderful. He's I I love when that happens. Barbarians, another one. Yeah, I thought yeah. really you know brought it. And I have nothing but incredible things to say about Ty West and what he did. You know, yeah, I was gonna. I think Pearl is my favorite movie of the year. Yeah. I think it's a masterpiece. And uh, it's, it's getting back to the roots, you know. Of, yeah. Of, character that you identify with you care about and holy shit (laughs) it goes places you do not expect um i was gonna ask do you think it's because the streaming services are so plentiful now that we have so many choices and so many options i mean in terms of making Uh, things done genre stuff yeah maybe i mean the fact that some of these are because they've been telling us guys for what a year, two years now. Forget it. You know, if you're not DC, Marvel, whatever yeah, franchise, yeah. big, you know, uh, stars, and they realize that doesn't mean they're going to come all the time either. 
but the fact that they are opening up the doors and letting some of these other movies come in and then seeing that there is an audience that will come. And there good. is theatrical too, which yeah. you don't expect. It costs a lot of money to put movies in theaters exactly. and to yeah. advertise them. But that's why they won't do it unless they for sure think they're going to get a return. Yeah, but you talk about Ty West. I mean, two two movies this year. He did X and then Pearl, which is the prequel to X, mm -hmm. which you don't need to see X to enjoy the beauties of Pearl. But uh, and we had uh, Helena Rain on with Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Oh yeah, I love that movie, and it's got the best ending of any movie of the year. <laughs> it's really good stuff. Um, Watcher was terrific, and and Shutter has been a leader in this world. Oh, They've man, had yeah. such great stuff. Um, but uh, Watcher is really good. Fresh was a really great cannibal movie. Oh, I didn't see that one. That was, is that uh, on Shudder? Uh, it is on Shudder, and okay. we've, we've had the, uh, the director on as well. Um, have you seen Hatching? Mm -mm. Oh, okay. I haven't heard of it either, actually. It's, oh, and it uses practical effects. <clears throat> it's a Scandinavian film that I was really, really excited about. Um, Mad God, have you seen Phil Tippett's movie, Mad God? I, I want to see it. I've seen the, the, the clips from it. You will love it, Bill. Yeah, yeah. It is so bizarre, and it's he's taken 30 years to make it. He's a special effects guy. Started out doing stop-motion animation, and this whole movie is handmade stop-motion animation that he spent 30 years on, and it's on Shutter. Yeah, he, uh, he did a lot of stuff on... Um, uh, Empire Strikes Back. He right. anim he animated those giant, whatever they call the walkers. walkers. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. and he had done the chess pieces on yeah. the original Star Wars as well. Yeah. Mike Flanagan has become like a, a oh, mentor yeah. to me too. When I go and I go, this is amazing. He is doing to me really good stuff, character stuff, working with the same team of people, so they all have that, you know, quick, you know, being able to psychically communicate what they want and things and the work is just stellar i think and and, and everything that that he does i'm oh. very interested to see his house of usher yeah me too well that's another important point is how vastly television has changed over the years you know when in 2005 when we did Masters of Horror. There was no horror to be found on television. Mm -hmm. Nobody was interested. No. Showtime wasn't looking for a series, but Anchor Bay was going to finance it regardless. And we managed to do something and pull it off, maybe because there was so little horror around that so many great people agreed to be a part of it and, and did something special. But now every horror is everywhere it's on every streaming service it's on the networks you've got american horror story year after year after year and spin-offs and all that stuff midnight mass back to flanagan oh, yeah. is one of the best things i've ever seen yeah yeah that, that's like a masterpiece and so personal too you know from his past and stuff bringing in things that yeah the catholicism yeah. and you yourself come from that yeah world. yeah when I, when I finally met him thanks to you at the fangoria thing and I, you know i said well you know one altar boy to another you did a great, <laughs> a great job but yeah growing up catholic there's so much of that stuff exorcist all those things it's like yep we know that for a lot of people it's like oh my god what is, you know that that happens it's like oh yeah we got we got exorcist <laughs> stories we got a, holy water stories we got all that stuff but it's it's just incredible now too because i'm i i know i teach it's almost 10 years now i can't believe it. i have no business teaching all i do <laughs> is i share and i say i all i can do is inspire you're not going to learn shit in a class 
You're going to learn some of the stuff about the craft until you get out there, you guys, and make it and fail and go, oh, I won't go do that again. Or, wow, that worked. Try to do it again. It ain't going to work. This is a business where you just have to keep flying on your instinct. But here you're going to learn a craft. Here you're going to learn there's a three-act structure, but you can flip it around if you choose to. Start with the ending and go back. Whatever you want to do. But I'm now trying to program the call everything for the screen. Whether it's yeah. the screen of that phone or the big IMAX screen, we're making things for the screen. Television, what is? I mean, we're, that's where we go and see things. If if you got a tiny TV, you sit close, big. You know, you, you got yeah. a big one, you sit back. But there's to me, with going and see Jaws recently in IMAX, you know, remastered was as great as the first time I saw it. The water looked like it was, you know, the 3D version. I saw both Jaws of them. Jaws 3D it was amazing. blew me away. And not, not the movie Jaws 3D, but the original Jaws <laughs> yeah. in 3D. Yeah. It was like seeing seeing it fresh, yeah. seeing it for the first time, like you say. And, it, and it's like a master class of, of everything that's right. You know, characters, humor, you know, not seeing the thing for a long time, the music, the movie happening in your head before you actually see anything. I mean, I'm trying to get these you know kids down there to see it. And it's like, oh, no, I rented it. I can don't rent no! it. Go in the theater, for Christ's sake. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, not a big so three, I'm not a big 3D fan, but that movie, the way it's like it was shot that way yeah. intentionally. But nobody ever thought of it. But just Spielberg shoots in three dimensions yes. regardless. Yeah. And you can learn so much from that. But I'm going back to Catholic horror. Um, <laughs> have, you guys, have you guys seen 30 Coins? Uh, oh, Trenta, yeah. uh, oh, it's it's a Spanish series in Spanish by Alex de la Iglesia, who is a brilliant filmmaker in the genre, and it is so original and scary and sexy, and the actors are all fantastic. Did you watch the whole series? I did. I did. It blew me away. Uh-huh. I just thought it was fantastic. And Tommy. Where can, where can you see this? Uh, HBO Max. HBO Max, yeah. okay. And I hear that there is a new season coming. Wow. And okay. we're supposedly going to be getting Alex on the show. Um, he's shooting in Spain right now. But amazing stuff. Um, oh, and last night we saw a really good Halloween movie. There was a screening. Uh, our friend Alejandro Brugues and Mike Mendez, uh, along with three other directors, um, uh, Damian uh, Rugna and um, Eduardo Sanchez and Gigi uh, Guerrero, Saul Guerrero. Um, it's a five-part anthology, uh, Satanic Hispanics. It's like <laughs> nightmare cinema, but with Latino themes and the uh-huh. like. And it's so much fun. And it, those kind of movies are j- just right for Halloween, it seems to me. Yeah. Really fun. Um, what are you going to watch Halloween? Having Costello me Frank. I mean, we're usually there at your house on Halloween, and and after we give out the candy to all the kids, well, we have a problem this year. Oh, that's right, your yeah, projector's my projector broken. Took a dump, so. Oh, you haven't gotten the new and one. And I, I, well, I, I uh, no, it's weird. It's just like trying to get this thing fixed is like a nightmare because it's like it's called it's considered pro gear right and so you can't just like have anybody come in and fix it and it's right you can't call the geek squad yeah so (laughs) uh actually i've ordered parts from can from uh japan so hopefully 
Uh, actually, I even bought the workshop. Man, I'm one of those guys who like goes, "Come on, anybody can fix this stuff." You know? <laughs> well, you are such a technical wizard. <laughs> Look, I, 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 there's a lot of stuff I can do. I'm not an electronics guy. I can, I know how to hook stuff up, but, but actually getting in and soldering stuff, I, but, but if, I bought the workshop manual, and apparently it's all like plugins. So, uh, so, so it's just pieces you. Yeah. Ordered. So yeah. hopefully I'll be able to get it running. Let's oh. find out. See how how good I am at this. Yeah. So uh, we may not be seeing a movie. Uh, might not. At I don't Casa know. So. Alone. Yeah. yeah. What are you going to be watching on Halloween? Probably not going to be watching anything. I'll be out on. You'll be out, out on, on the yeah. streets with the people. You know, yeah. with the kids. Um, and that'll yeah. last late. It used to be that uh, things would end early because it was a kids uh, event, but yeah. not so much anymore. I mean, you, I tend to put it on. You know, I mean, AMC, whoever's like running back to back movies, and you just right. kind of have it in there. So if you go in to go pee, you know, it's like, oh, look at you know, and you sit there for a few minutes watching. I got to get back out there. Um, but yeah, I, so it, to me, it's like. I, I've lost the days of just being, well, I'm just going to sit back and have our popcorn. We'll get up and open the door for the kids. And I don't even know if I did that, actually. Come to think of it. <laughs> I, I, you know, only, I guess, if I went to an apartment, I was living in an apartment or someplace and you hope somebody would show up. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, there's so many things that, you know, we're watching all the time. And I, I got a quick question for you guys. The, the remakes of all these things that they're doing now, I, I haven't seen any of them yet, but like Interview with a Vampire, I hear. You I know, saw the first episode that. and I thought it was really good. Great. That's it, great to hear. It, it was really, I haven't seen Let the Right One In yet. Uh, that, as of this recording, just came on this week. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing that. They're doing a series off of that See, now? Yeah, well? it's on oh. Showtime now. But just in general, remaking all these things, because I guess they've been proven and it's like, you know, we're going to go in and, and at least have an audience that we know will come and then hope, you know, the new audiences. But do you see these things tending to be better, same, worse? You know, uh, Philosophically, I'm not a big fan of remakes. I mean, people consider The Shining a remake, but really it was going back to Stephen King's book and doing that. We've all done, Bill, you did House on Haunted Hill. You did Friday the 13th Part mm -hmm. 6. So sequels and remakes, normally it's... A commercial grab uh, it's a money grab but if somebody has a really valid idea or reason for doing it and can improve upon it and some movies and and TV shows can be re remade and made better I think there's some movies that they should never even think about remaking <laughs> yes. because you're not gonna do better Let's leave 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Disney. There you go. Let's, let's see you come up with a better design Nautilus than that. Mm -hmm. It's really? not going to happen. Yeah, it's beautiful <laughs> stuff. You know, and there's a film that's like, because it's, it's a, uh, set in 1860 or whenever it was, you know, and it was made in 1954, it's got a vintage look which totally suits the movie, and you go, no, walk away from it. Yep, you know? yep. Um, You're never going to get... Kirk Douglas singing Whale of a Tale. There you go. See? <laughs> I, I did a movie with him, and him and Craig T. Nelson were in the front seat doing the scene, and suddenly Craig went into it, and then Kirk went into it, and I went, just keep rolling. You know, I, <laughs> see, <laughs> that's great. These... <laughs> Actually, you know, Toby, Toby Hooper, uh -huh. you know, I was uh, uh, sitting with Toby, and, and uh, he told me something. I went, he said, he said, oh, yeah, I, uh, when, I, when I made the, um, what was the, uh, Salem's Lot, yeah. He said, he said, yeah, I got James Mason. We went over to Disney. We ran 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And I oh sat, watched it with James Mason. I went, oh, man. 
wow. you're killing me here. <laughs> what's what's your Halloween recommendation to the audience? Is there one movie that you would say well, that they might know, not know about that would be great? Well, I mean, the Creature from the Black Lagoon, of course. If you haven't seen it, you've got to see that. Right. I love The Black Cat, 1934. Oh, with, Karloff so and Lugosi. It is so twisted. It's so twisted in 1932, and this was right on the verge of the Hayes Code. It would have been outlawed oh by the God. Hayes Code. Yeah, I mean, if you talk about what the plot of that is, if you pitch that to a studio today, they go, "What?" <laughs> Tell <laughs> no, us what the pitch that. would be. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, Lugosi is coming back on a train in some place in Eastern Europe to confront Boris Karloff who uh, uh, apparently convinced Lugosi's wife that he had been killed in the war and married her, killed her, and then uh, married her daughter, the daughter, <laughs> <laughs> and now has the wife encased in plastic in the basement, and he's now the head of a satanic cult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it gets more twisted from oh, there. Yeah, that's only yes. act one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tommy, is there some something you'd recommend? I hate to say this, but right off the top of my hat, uh, head is is the original Halloween. It just yeah, to me course. is sort of like you know, it's comfort food. It's the thing that to me, everybody hearing that music, it just represents Halloween. Um, you know, it it I can watch it over and over and over again and still enjoy both the filmmaking of it, the performances, and there's like this wonderful sense of innocence. You know that a lot of the movies got more and more edgy, you know, as things get on more and more brutal, I don't know, yeah. yeah, brutal and, and just mean spirited sometimes, not just the Halloween movies, but just in general, a lot of that, yeah. you know, the, the slasher movies that followed, but that to me still had that. And because I think John loved Howard Hawks and these great and filmmakers. Yeah. yeah. He, he had a lot of restraint with what he did and a lot of it is again, what happened in our head. So I, yeah. you know, well, I met John, in a tiny little recording studio in Hollywood where he was at his synthesizer scoring Halloween. I was interviewing him for a magazine. Wow. And that's where I met him. But Halloween means something to you as well, right, Bill? Well, I made, you know, the mask, the <laughs> sculpted the original. But also, you were offered one of the Halloween. I was offered one of the Halloween movies. I can't remember which. I think it was maybe H2O or one of those back in the... Uh, back in the day, and I I turned it down actually just because I didn't feel I had anything more to add to it. I thought it pretty much had played it played itself out. So, well, so we're here for, to, for me anyway. Yeah, we're here to glorify the holiday, not a specific movie or anything. So, thank you guys so much for coming in and and sharing Halloween memories with me. Well, thank well, you. It was a joy. Big thank fun. you, man. Always a blast. Thank you for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every Wednesday or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Postmortem with Mick Garris is produced by Mick Garris and Joe Russo. Our sound engineer is Christopher Leon Price. Our announcer is Jeff Gelb. Our graphic designer is John Holland. And our theme was composed and performed by Bill Burney with additional music by John Jasensky. If you're enjoying our show, please take a moment to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.